Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. It's time again to have Peterson Toscano as guest host for Spirit in Action, like we do every three months. So this is just your lucky day. And because his topic is climate change, which can be a bummer in other people's hands, Peterson is bringing us a really uplifting look at it today. I want to just note something you may well have noticed about the way we do things on this program. Our official mission statement is, Northern Spirit Radio promotes world healing by broadcasting inspirational and educational voices of peace and social justice using the language of personal story, music, and spirituality. You'll note, perhaps, that it's all about inspiration and education, not fear and anger, two of the primary buttons pushed by most media. Of course, we do have to talk about the problems when doing education and orienting ourselves toward world healing, but my hope is that you go away each week from listening to Spirit in Action with a greater sense of hope and motivation to make the world better, not out of fear, but out of inspiration. And Peterson Toscano and Citizens Climate Radio are going to give you good reason for that today as he sits in for me while I spend time with the grandkids. Truly, I think you'll finish this program with a clearer, more positive, more powerful vision today, full of all the positive possibilities for dealing with a truly massive problem, the climate crisis, and a way that has real potential for our joint future. I'm so thankful for the work of Citizens Climate Radio, and I'm proud to turn the mic over to you now, Peterson. Thank you, Mark for sharing this platform with me. I'm so happy to be back guest hosting Spirit in Action. I am the host of Citizens Climate Radio, and every month I present all kinds of folks who are taking on climate change in unexpected ways. I have a show that I want to share with you sometime in the near future about Republicans who are taking climate change very seriously. This is indeed very good news. So stay tuned for that show. It'll be coming up hopefully in a couple of weeks. And hello to you listening. How are you? I hope all is well in your world, although this is, I know, a very strange time. But I'm thrilled that we get to spend the next hour or so with each other. And I have a lot to share, actually. A lot of cool stuff. Now, if you've heard me on Spirit in Action before, you're aware of the kind of stories and guests I feature. I take an unconventional approach, especially when it comes to talking about climate change. Yes, it can be a scary topic. And yes, it does get overwhelming. And yes, yes, it's even harder for many of us as we grapple with the fallout from the pandemic. But I want us to put aside all of that heaviness for a moment. In fact, today's show is designed to relax you and help you engage in your imagination. Oh, and we are also going to be hopping around the world some. In today's show, I will introduce you to Olivia Oguadima, a young social entrepreneur in Nigeria. Olivia uses storytelling to influence her peers so that they will make the world a better place. She is going to tell us a little of her own story, which led to her Gems on Earth podcast. 
Shane Petzer is an artist in South Africa. He's going to talk about turning trash into something beautiful. Right now, during this pandemic, he's currently offering online courses and experiences, one in particular where participants from all over the world are creating gorgeous Quaker peace doves, all out of milk containers. Sean Degg, a Citizens Climate volunteer in New York State, helps us to engage our imagination. He has a thought exercise that will give you a chance to travel to the future. From Appalachian State University in the USA, two professors talk about Climate Stories Collaborative. They tell us about the learning process of creating climate art. They also reveal how the coronavirus lockdown gave them a chance to model resiliency. Dr. Natasha DeJarnett, a leading environmental health researcher, will share her vision of the future. But first, a climate change communications expert updates us about what has happened since the last time she was on the show. Now, when it comes to creative climate communications, no other episode has influenced me more than episode 39, Envisioning and Communicating Climate Successes. In that episode, I shared a mind-expanding future-imaging thought exercise conducted by Sean Degg. We also featured Blair Bazarich from the San Francisco Zoo and Hannah Pickard at Boston's New England Aquarium. They are both part of a group called NOCI, N-N-O-C-C-I. Blair and Hannah stressed we need to pivot away from gloom and doom climate stories. Instead, we need to shift the conversation to the future, especially to the impacts of climate solutions. First, though, Hannah stresses effective climate communication begins with messages that are formed around our values. She shares two values that have been proven to move people to action. Protecting the people and the places that we love and or responsibly managing our resources. Those are two values that are very strong within American culture. When I say American culture, I mean really broadly. It gets reinforced in a lot of different ways. Protecting the people and the places that we love and or responsibly managing our resources. Those two values also allow us to align climate action with other social issues. And the more we can align with and connect social issues together, the better we're going to be and the better we're going to find solutions that actually work for everybody. You don't go from why it matters to a laundry list of the things we're about to experience or are experiencing because that becomes really overwhelming. We need to shift as climate communicators, as like a field, to painting the picture of what this looks like when we've achieved our goals because it's so much easier to sustain long-term action when you know what you're what you're trying to achieve as opposed to what you're trying to avoid how how we center climate communications around the vision for the future that's not just one of survival but is one where we would be excited to live in that oh i actually want my city to yes be climate resilient i'm not sure what that means but then when somebody starts telling me, oh, that within five minutes of every, every person who lives in Boston, they'll have walking access to a park. That's a city I want to live in. Yes, I want faster public transportation. That's a city that I would want to make sure I stay in. The way I refer to it when it happened to me was that it like activated these kind of civic muscles that I didn't know that I had or like that were just latent. 
And that just breeds more and more hope, which is what we need, and more and more community. It's our responsibility as climate communicators to be spreading climate hope, because otherwise we're in trouble. More and more research confirms that a focus on a hopeful future based on solutions works. Hannah told me about some of the findings out of Yale Climate Communications. According to them, hopeful Americans are more likely to talk with their friends and family. They're more likely to support transitions to renewable sources of energy and act civically for change. That's what we want to be seeing. Hannah reveals another important reason for us to focus on a helpful future, especially for those of us doing climate work. Thinking about climate change, even thinking about it regularly, is really difficult. And we want to invite more and more people into space where we're talking about climate change, but that also brings some mental health risks, that we're inviting people into a space, into a community that's suffering. We're seeing the effects of climate all around us, and we can't escape it. So being able to be in community, be hopeful, find ways to support each other, these are all things that help build resilience to those mental health impacts. At Noki, they realize they need to do more than train people on how to be effective climate communicators. They need to build a supportive community. Socially and emotionally supporting each other has always been very critical, especially to our training process. But in the last two and a half years, we've really turned a light on that as a focus for why we exist as a member organization, because it's not just this kind of evangelist, like, we're going to train you, you're going to be the best communicator, you're going to know how to tell a story. It's really hard because I don't think we're good at talking about mental health or about the benefits of being with each other in this. That's new. That's been since I think January, kind of my newest push beyond just we need to give people a vision for the future. It's like, we need to start being really vocal about how hard this work is and the, the good things we get out of it personally in order to refuel ourselves. Otherwise, we're not modeling that for these new folks who are coming into the fold and have no idea how to handle it. To learn about the work of Noki and their excellent online training programs, visit climateinterpreter.org. I also have links to Noki in our show notes. Sean Digg is a software engineer. He's also the group leader for the Mid-Hudson South chapter of Citizens Climate Lobby. And he has a superpower. Sean helps us unlock our imaginations. We featured him back in episode 39, along with Hannah Pickard. Sean had us imagine a world without fossil fuels. For Hannah, this experiment had a deep impact. And really changed how I help other people come to the table. And like I instruct people to listen, not even to me on the podcast, but the last 10 minutes. Because to me, that was a really important moment. Dr. Natasha DeJournet also found the exercise very helpful. A frequent guest on the show, Dr. DeJournet has spoken about environmental racism and justice, the health risks for coal miners, and much more. In order to imagine a better world, we need to see the trouble we are currently in and to see it with clear eyes. 
I want to acknowledge our brothers and sisters who are calling for justice in the loss of countless African-Americans. I, I once again definitely want to acknowledge our frontline workers, our essential workers, those who are working to help mitigate against COVID, those who are ensuring that everyone's needs are met during this time. When it comes to the current state of our world, Dr. Dijernet hears it captured in a song. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On album keeps echoing in my head. And from What's Going On, just some words are standing out to me. Brother, 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 there's far too many of us dying. Picket lines and picket signs. Don't punish me with brutality. And then from his song, Mercy, Mercy Me. Where did all the blue skies go? Poison is the wind that blows from the north and the south and east. This is this is standing out to me as the current soundtrack. And these are beautiful songs, but they're capturing some heartbreaking times and still as relevant as when they were written as as they are right now. At my breakout group at the recent Citizens Climate Virtual Conference, I had the nearly 500 participants open up their imaginations as they walked through Sean's experiment. They got to travel to another time to envision a whole new world. So I invite you to take the next three minutes to let your creative mind wander, imagine, and dream. I share with you Sean's experiment. What will the world be like without fossil fuels? Then you will hear people reading some of the hundreds of responses I received from the participants in the online breakout session. When we talk about what the future looks like in climate change. We often talk about all the bad things that happen. And that's important. That's an important part of the story. But it's important to think about how the world would just change. And a lot of these are, are good changes. And to really like think through kind of all of our senses about what that would be like. Just imagine this whole new world. You walk out your front door, what would actually look different in a world where we've gotten off of fossil fuels? Like as you look around, as you look at homes, what's different about them? How are they different than they are today? What's in your driveway? How's that different? How do you get around? What do you see in the world that you didn't before? What's missing? And not just what you see, but engage your other senses. What does the world smell like? What smells are missing that were there before? What do you, what do you smell that you never could before because it was covered over in pollution? What does the world sound like? What does your street sound like? How is that different than it was before? What new things are you hearing in your yard, on your front door? in your neighborhood. 
you know, what do things feel like, like when you touch them, right? We used to have light bulbs that changing a light bulb would burn your hands and we don't anymore. Just everyday objects in our, in our homes, uh, outside, how do they feel different? How does just walking along the street feel different? And how does that make you feel? What are the things that that we have gained? What are the things that we have lost? Just imagine this whole new world. Because if we can't imagine this world, we can't create it. As we did the breakout session, people in the chat section of Zoom typed in what they imagined would be in the world and what would be missing. You won't hear those loud lawnmowers and leaf blowers waking you up when you want to sleep in. You won't see or smell the exhaust from cars, trucks, and buses burning fossil fuels. You won't feel it burn your throat and lungs or constrict your breathing. Parking lots will be cleaner too without all those oil and grease stains. More importantly though, a world without fossil fuels is full of wonderful things. Family and friends outside together. Seeing mountains that were once invisible behind the smog. Bike lanes in every city and town. Clear blue sky. Clear blue sky. Clear blue sky. Children running and playing without asthma. Rich Loamy soil that sequesters carbon. Reliable and clean public transportation. Windmills. Open windows. People walking. And solar panels on every roof. Birds. Stars. Fresh air. Bees. Birds. Birds. Bicycles. Quiet. Fresh Fresh air. air. Bees. Birds. Bicycles. Stars. Birds. Birds. Fresh air. Flowers. Flowers. Bees are fresh air. Stars. 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 Flowers, flowers, children running and playing without asthma. Stars, fresh air.
And for Dr. Natasha DeJanet, what does the future look like, smell like? What does it sound like? In short, what I want to see is a more beautiful world. But not just that, I also see a healthier world. I see a world with less asthma, less heart disease, less complications with psychotropic medications and heat, less injuries, less destruction in the places where we live, work, learn, play, and pray. That's what the world looks like to me. It sounds like Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see the bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. That's what I hear. But more tangibly, I hear the sounds of children playing outside, laughing, free from environmental-induced asthma, running around with not a care in the world, healthy. What does it smell like? It smells like fresh air. It smells like no toxic industrial fumes in our neighborhoods. To me, that smells like possibility. We can't address climate change without addressing inequities. So a hundred years from now, I see a more just world. I see our most vulnerable populations with enhanced quality of life. I see children, older adults, people of color, people who live in low, lower income communities, I see them having better quality of life because they are at the center of the decision-making when it comes to addressing climate change. I see our frontline communities no longer living on the fence line of polluters. I see our coastal communities no longer displaced by sea level rise. I see former coal mine communities thriving with new well-paying industry. I see communities that were former burdened with injustice now achieving equity. Communities that utilize health and all policies framework and emphasize health equity for all. These societies will have policies that ensure Climate action protects health and protects equity. All policies protect health and equity, and it protects our most vulnerable. And, and I see this underscored by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's wise words, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So I see that being what underscores how we move forward. you? What did this experiment stir up in your imagination? I want to hear from you. 
feel free to email radio at citizensclimate.org or leave a voicemail of three minutes or less at 518-595-9414. Plus one if calling from outside the USA. That number again is 518-595-9414. Many thanks to the folks who read the responses about the future. These include Liz and Petra, Ann Piper, Tammy Simpson, Sally Stewart, Christine Robinson, Kathy Habiger, Philip Davis, Charlie Sullivan, Sharon Elliott, Ann Evans, Douglas Aleve, Ellen Wages, Wesley Jacobs, Wendy Slaughterbach, John Kelly Worrell, Carol Bates, Alice Jones, Steve Riga, Mike Cooper, and Kathy Massis. I hope your imagination has been stirred. Stick around for the next half of the show. There's a lot more to come. You're going to hear from five artists on two continents who use their art to deepen the conversation about the environment, climate change, oh, and garbage. Stay tuned. I love radio. But of course, the strange thing about radio is I can't see you and you can't see me. What is exciting about this time of the pandemic is that we are opening up more venues for people to see each other online with lots of online presentations. I wanted to tell you about one later this month. I will be presenting an interactive multimedia presentation that is designed especially for a Zoom audience. The presentation is called A Queer Response to Climate Change. What would Walt Whitman do? Indeed, what would Walt Whitman do? The BTS Center in Portland, Maine is sponsoring this event, and you don't have to live in Portland, Maine to see it. You could live anywhere in the world as long as you have internet access. The date of the event is August 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and it will be via Zoom. To find out about it, just go to the btscenter.org. The btscenter.org. B as in Bob, T as in Tom, S as in Serpent. The btscenter.org. When you're there, just go and look at the current programs and look under the Summer Art Series. And you will see a listing for my presentation, A Queer Response to Climate Change, What Would Walt Whitman Do? It's going to be funny, engaging, thought-provoking, and designed, especially for Zoom. So if you want to see what you could do on Zoom, come for that event, August 18th, 7 p.m. Eastern at the BTS Center, which you can see online. Visit btscenter.org. I do hope you'll join Peterson Toscano for the BTS Zoom event on August 18th. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. We'll be back to more of Peterson and Citizens Climate Radio in a moment. But first, a note from me, Mark Helpsmeet, founder of Spirit in Action. Yes, our website is northernspiritradio.org. With over 15 years of broadcasting for world healing, all the programs and links to the guests are on the northernspiritradio.org webpage, plus a place to rate and comment on all those shows and that invaluable donate button, which allows you to do your part to energize and free our work from seeking the patronage of corporations and the government. 
donate to us as you're able, but only after you donate to your local community radio station from your hands and wallet. Lift up the local voice and change the world by empowering local alternative media. Let's rush back to more wonderful and uplifting news and messages from Citizens Climate Radio via Peterson Toscano. Thank you for listening. I'm Peterson Toscano, and this is Spirit in Action. Normally, you would hear me on Citizens Climate Radio, but every now and then, Mark helps me, invites me to come in and share the best of Citizens Climate Radio. And in a little bit, I'm going to introduce you to Violet Kitchen. She's an artist and an illustrator. She drew the illustrations for an incredible book, The 100% Solution, A Plan for Solving Climate Change. Stay tuned. It's coming up later in the show. Now it is time for the Art House. A lot of what I do involves bringing communities together to think about the meaningfulness of art objects and to create a sense of community around those art objects. That's Jenny Carlisle, curator-director of the Smith Gallery at Appalachian State University in North Carolina. Building community is important and so difficult during this time of coronavirus. Jenny and her colleague, Laura England, a senior lecturer, told me that their campus is situated in a perfect spot, something they especially appreciate during this time of coronavirus lockdown. Being outside and surrounded by things that are growing and recognizing that though my human community is very much uh, separate for me in tangible, physical ways, the rest of the community of life that I'm a part of is here as ever. And, and that part hasn't changed. And that's been some solace for me in uh, the roller coaster of emotions that we all have during the coronavirus pandemic. Jenny and Laura are part of the Climate Stories Collaborative. This project was envisioned as a learning community made up of students and faculty from all over campus in which we are together learning how to be better climate communicators. Using all forms of creative expression, we use the word story as a, an umbrella term for all forms of creative expression to better engage the broader public, to communicate in a way that is more personal and accessible and relatable, and try to reach members of our community and beyond who aren't necessarily going to get excited about the science and the policy and the politics of climate change. We went from a small group of faculty, probably seven or so of us sat around the first table and envisioned the Climate Stories Collaborative, to over 75 now, including faculty members in the College of Education, the College of Business, the College of Fine and Applied Arts, the College of Arts and Sciences. Really, we're, we're represented all over campus. While many of the students end each cycle with completed pieces of art, Jenny explains that the process needed to produce the art is the primary goal. The things that people are making through the project are really an extension of that learning. And the thing that we're most interested in through Climate Stories is the learning itself. The ways that students can think about climate change to find ways to be with its kind of more abstract dimensions, to think about ways to process that on a personal and, and an internal level is really the most important part of the project. 
one of the things that's been interesting has been to think about what they're getting out of participating in these assignments because they are from many different backgrounds. These are not students necessarily that are in the sciences, although we do have some students who are in the sciences. It's a way for them to process what these issues are, to make them less abstract, to make them more personal. All of that seems to be what they get out of it the most. At the end of each school year, the Climate Stories Collaborative hosts a showcase for student artists. This year, we've had 35 classes that have produced work for this annual showcase that we do, with over 100 students being involved in the production of projects that were featured through the showcase. This provides them an opportunity to communicate to the wider public in a large gallery space. Laura explains that in the past, students, faculty, and community members mingled in the gallery to view the art and to see performances. In previous years, we've held the event on First Friday, which in our town in Boone, First Friday is an art crawl. Members of our community who are already traveling from gallery to another art location stopped in. Because of coronavirus, the school closed, and they also had to cancel the showcase. But, like so many others, they adapted and took the showcase online. One thing that's wonderful about having a digital exhibition is that the audience is not geographically bounded. We you know, quickly pivoted and, and moved to this online format on Instagram. As a curator, Jenny initially worried about creating a virtual showcase, but quickly saw multiple benefits. I've been really impressed by how well this work is translated to a digital environment. It's cleaner than I would have guessed. Through having these projects featured, I was really reminded that community is so important to the work we do, and that even though we couldn't physically gather, this project, moving it online, was important for having our community be able to still have like a gathering place together. I have complicated feelings about it because of the way that it's actually a corporate platform that we're using for educational purposes. At the same time, we are able to like meet the members of our community kind of where they are in their own homes and their daily lives. The presence of that community through the platform has just tripled through just this past year that the ways that people are posting on each other's projects and giving these like moments of encouragement and appreciation, the way that as they're looking at the projects through this feed, you're really like focused on what's happening in these individual works in a way that sometimes when you're at a reception, you're kind of overwhelmed by the numbers of things that you're seeing. It becomes very, very social in that um, context. There's actually something that feels more direct and more intimate about the ways that people are engaging in this work. It's been really lovely. Taking this step to go virtual also models an essential part of climate action, resiliency. And the ways that we're called on in this moment to adapt and adjust the way that we think about these issues, that it's really important for us to be able to pivot more quickly and to be in a more responsive mode as conditions around us are changing all the time. It gave me a lot of confidence and gave me a sense of like hope for our capacity to make the changes that we need because of the way that I saw my own community 
rally so quickly and adjust so quickly to the, the new conditions that we had to work with. Jenny Carlisle and Laura England are both part of the Climate Stories Collaborative at Appalachian State University in the U.S. state of North Carolina. To learn more, visit their site, climatestories.appstate.edu. That's climatestories.appstate.edu. And definitely check out their Instagram, where they're now hosting the virtual Climate Stories Showcase. Find them at ASU Climate Stories. That's at ASU Climate Stories. I will have all these links in our show notes. If you have an idea for the Art House, please feel free to contact me, radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Olivia Oguadama, a university student in Nigeria, has discovered the power of storytelling. Through her Gems on Earth podcast, she motivates young people throughout Western Africa and beyond. Hi, I'm super excited to be here. My name is Olivia Guadima. I'm a storyteller, social entrepreneur, and a boiling chemical engineer. I'm super passionate about inspiring positive action in youth through storytelling. Olivia relied on adaptation and resiliency to help her shape her life and to move her forward. She had dreams of studying overseas. When I left high school, I started seeking admission outside my country, to be precise, Canada, to study environmental system engineering. So it was either I was going to study chemical engineering or environmental system engineering or something that has to do with environmental. Olivia was accepted into a university in Canada's Saskatchewan province. Before she could attend the school, though, she needed to apply for scholarships to fund her education. And most of the scholarship I saw required, required me to do a lot of essays. And before then, I was a pretty good writer. I used to write a lot. I wrote plays for my primary school plays. And so, well, I could say I had this thing for storytelling. So, Olivia started writing essays, many essays. Writing those essays gave her a new perspective about the power of stories. I wrote essays on noise pollution. I wrote, I wrote essays on campaigns, awareness programs, essays on why texting, why driving is bad. And so it gave me a totally different picture about storytelling, that I could use stories to impact my world, that I could use stories to make positive impact, that I could use stories to create the change that I want. It opened me into the, a whole new world of storytelling. So although I wasn't able to get funds, and so my dream of studying in Canada was cut short, but later on, like a year later, I had gotten admission to study chemical engineering in a school in Federal University of Technology, Uweri, in Nigeria. With that mindset of, you know what, I want to make impact. I don't just want to live in this world, but I feel like I should do things that make people want to be better people, make people want to make the world a better place. While in university in Nigeria, Olivia joined Enactus, the world's largest experiential 
learning platform. Which engages entrepreneurial action in students to boost or to promote social impact, to promote the sustainable development goals. Through projects she helped organize with fellow Enactus members, Olivia was able to put into practice some of her ideas about storytelling and social change. She then decided to form a learning community of her own. She calls it Gems on Earth. She imagined each member of the community to be a precious gem. Diamonds, pearls, yeah, precious stones. Gems on Earth, yeah, that's the name. So I created this community, Gems on Earth, a community of youths where youths inspire each other through storytelling and social impact. Olivia recognizes how much youth influence each other, especially through social media. And sadly, they do not always influence each other in positive ways. So she wondered, What if you have a community that's channels that influence towards positivity, towards helping life, towards changing the narrative for good. And so that's where the idea of Germs on Earth came about, where we inspire youths to be their best self. In order to reach more young people, Olivia launched Gems on Earth podcast. Olivia has a clear mission and keeps her focus on her primary audience. Basically, I try to expose issues that we youths face, face across the world and try to talk about it, simplify it, talking about strategic networking, talking about social capital, talking about how to stay motivated to achieve your goals, talking about emotional resilience, and all these interesting topics that relate to youths. When you listen to the Gems on Earth podcast, you will hear how Olivia weaves all these practical topics together through storytelling. Stories are very, 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 very powerful in enacting change in a country, in a community, in a small space in the world. In Nigeria, like everywhere in the world right now, Olivia has been working and studying from home. She encourages her young listeners to take advantage of this extra time at home to improve themselves and to grow in skills and knowledge. If you, if you go with doing something productive, maybe reading a book, doing an online course, listening to a podcast, just reflecting on yourself, taking time to meditate, two hours a day, every week, every month, for months to come, you'll be surprised how much you can achieve. You'll be so, 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 so surprised how much you can achieve. Olivia's podcast is called Gem on Earth. It is available wherever you get podcasts. While it is not explicitly about climate change, you will learn more about storytelling through Olivia. I also have links in the show notes. Just visit citizensclimatelobby.org slash blog. That's citizensclimatelobby.org slash blog. Let's stay a little bit longer on the African continent and travel about 8,000 kilometers to the rural South African town of Berrydale. Shane Petzer is a member of the Magpie Art Collective. 
a studio that combines elements of art, design, craft, and there's a very strong social component to it. We've, we've done a lot of work in the area of upcycling and recycling, and that's become quite a strong theme in the work over the years. Yeah. In fact, the members of the Magpie Art Collective have a thing for trash. They are best known for the elaborate and absolutely beautiful chandeliers they create. Visitors from all over the world have popped into the gallery to see these masterpieces. They've said, you know, that, wow, you know, I look at this piece and think it's absolutely beautiful. And then when they approach the object and really look at it, they suddenly realize that this incredibly beautiful piece is actually made of discarded material. And I think that that starts the conversation in people's heads is that they're challenged by what they see. They're challenged by what we define as altruistic. You know, as a collective society, we all buy into these notions of chandelier. It's what finishes a room. It's lighting. It's part of our culture. It's a cultural aspiration. And I think for a lot of people, that cultural aspiration is tied up with a beauty that's defined through exploitation or through mining practices, you know, like a beautiful diamond chandelier. Yes, look very beautiful, but at what cost, you know, at what cost to the environment? From this dry, mountainous, rural area in South Africa, the Magpie Art Collective's chandeliers have found their way to the homes of some pretty famous people. Yeah, perhaps the most famous people are the Obamas, who had two magpie chandeliers hanging in their private quarters when they were occupying the White House. Shane Petzer is a member of the Religious Society of Friends, more commonly known as Quakers. With South Africa in complete lockdown during the coronavirus, he and fellow Quakers wondered how to continue meeting for worship while socially distant. Like many places of worship, they went online. Besides the worship, though, they recognized people had other needs during this strange, extreme separation. And one of the things that came up was mental health. People felt isolated. People wanted something to do, you know, during the lockdown. I took this to my colleagues in Magpie. We came up with an idea of running Tuesday afternoon workshop, turning your lockdown trash into art. One of the designs we came up with was called Hashtag Corona Flowers, and we went through a whole eight-week process. They attracted participants from all over the world who joined in and turned their lockdown trash into these beautiful Corona Flowers. The Quakers in the Western Cape wondered if Magpie Art Collective could create something that highlighted one of the core principles of Quakerism, peace. Shane and the collective came up with a design template for the hashtag Quaker Peace Dove. That's made out of white milk bottles. Yeah, we're at the beginning phases of, of, of that project. If you want to see some of these Peace Doves and maybe sign up for a free course to make your own, you should check out Instagram. Just go onto Instagram and look for hashtag Quaker Peace Dove. Or on Facebook, we've also got a presence under Quaker Peace Dove there. So the, all the adverts and the information for where to get the links. Um, we ask people to, to book early because you need to get a template, which we will email you along with a little toolkit of you know what you need to have ready to participate in the Tuesday afternoon workshops. To see the amazing art and chandeliers Shane Petzer and the other members of the Art Collective create, 
visit magpiecollective.com. There's also a link there for hashtag Quaker Peace Dub. That website again is magpieartcollective.com. Each month, we talk to artists who are doing their part to address climate change. Solomon Goldstein Rose put me in touch with the illustrator of his book, The 100% Solution, A Plan for Solving Climate Change. On a windy day in Hartford, Connecticut, I conducted a socially distanced outdoor interview with Violet Kitchen. Violet like the flower kitchen like the room. I'm a visual artist and illustrator. I'm also a writer. I mean, I come from a background of illustration and comics. This illustration project came with constraints. For one, other than the cover art, all of the illustrations are black and white. It helped me distill the message down more effectively. I'm normally used to working with color, you know, to create more of a sense of story and place and experience. But in terms of the book, the black and white is very successful. It's clearer, more easier to read. Um, It's not necessarily distracting. I see artwork as a really effective means of promoting activism and advocacy, especially when it comes to climate science. We're working with a lot of data, a lot of very abstract concepts, and I think visual art is one way of bringing that experience to people in a way that is much more understandable and much more manageable. Violet believes the artist has a role to play now more than ever. That role is to take on big issues like climate change. Art has always been used to to, to better inform and educate people as, as long as it's been around. There are many examples of this historically. I can think of early on in the AIDS epidemic, for example, when um, the government was extremely slow in responding to the crisis. You know, there, there were many art- artists also working in AIDS activism and working to help educate the public. Um, you, you see this over and over again. Particularly in the field of comics right now, we're seeing an explosion of comics journalism, um, educational comics. Cartoonists working at the Nib, for example, really helping to bring awareness of issues that are not normally covered by more traditional avenues. With the web now in the state that it is, I think we're seeing a greater opportunity than we've ever had before for people to be able to reach wide audiences with their work. When we as artists are facing the climate crisis, facing you know these overwhelming issues we have in our society, I think you know we have this responsibility to tell these stories and you know working with as many scientists and educators and experts we can as possible in order to make those messages most effective, most accurate, and most readable to to the general public. Violet's personal art projects are colorful and playful. She recognizes that inserting whimsy is important when taking on challenging topics that easily overwhelm. When we're working with art that is communicating an activist message is to be able to have that element of lightness and whimsy. At a moment when our culture is very oriented towards cynicism and ironic detachment, I think it's very important for artists to play a part in a cultural shift towards more... I'm not sure I would even say optimism, but greater practicality, working towards a positive vision of what our future can be and communicating how that can be possible. That's something that I try to incorporate within my style is that feeling of hope. In working with Solomon Goldstein Rose on this book project, they modeled collaboration, something incredibly helpful for artists and for climate advocates. Working collaboratively has been very rewarding for me. I'm especially interested in narrative and storytelling, and you know, finding the means to translate someone else's story visually is very compelling. We live in a very individualized society, and I think we still have this mythos of the individual genius artist, but I think you'll find that some of the best and most compelling work does come from collaboration and from people working together, and I think that's something that the climate movement can certainly learn from. We can't 
any of us do this alone. We have to work together and we have to work across, you know, many different fields in order to make things happen. And I think that's something that artists ought to take to heart as well. And I think I see many of us doing so right now. Violet's art is helping people envision climate solutions. You can see her illustrations in the 100% Solution, A Plan for Solving Climate Change. It's written by Solomon Goldstein Rose, and it's published by Melville House. You can see her work in the print and Kindle versions of the book. You will definitely also want to check out her other artwork. She tells us how. I have a dedicated portfolio website at violetkitchen.com, and I'm also on Instagram at violetkitchenart. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Spirit in Action. I've been your guest host, Peter Santoscano. I'm the host of Citizens Climate Radio, and you can find me on Twitter. Just follow at P2Sun, the letter P, the number 2, S-O-N. That's at P2Sun on Twitter. Learn more about Citizens Climate Radio. Visit our blog, citizensclimatelobby.org slash blog. That's citizensclimatelobby.org slash blog. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the show. Any ideas you have for future shows? Reach me at the following email, radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Stay well, safe, and determined. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for taking over for me today, Peterson. What a great program. In addition to the great inspiration of thinking about a sustainable climate future, I even got some great ideas for projects to work on over Zoom with the kids of the Eau Claire Quaker meeting. Folks, I do hope you'll connect with all of Peterson's theater and his spiritual and his activist performances endeavors at petersontoscano.com, and especially that you'll Zoom in with him at the BTS event on August 18th. And as Peterson mentioned, he'll be back here for Spirit in Action for a special encore Spirit in Action broadcast in just a couple of weeks. Look forward to that, to hearing from Carl McRuder next week, and look forward to making our future brighter and more beautiful through our joint world healing. See you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. And our lives will feel the echo of our